Isaiah 53, verse 3. I'm going to read this. Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This Isaiah 53, the entire chapter, usually it's headlined with uh, the suffering servant. It's this picture, this prophetic picture, thousands of years before Jesus would actually uh, walk that path of Calvary and hang on a cross. Um, these words were given to the prophet Isaiah, and he described with great detail um, this one who would come as a servant of God and suffer for the sake of, of the world. Uh, 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 not just a man, but, but, but this part of God himself sent to, to suffer because of what we've done, not because of what he's done. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look into Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand at the throne of God. Um, I saw a video this week. Um, it was you would title it something like "fat shaming." It was it was a comedian who decided to make fat people or overweight people feel ashamed of their condition in hopes of bringing about some type of a change. And it was a very cruel video. It wasn't very nice in the least. And I don't think it was, I think it was counterproductive. I don't think it was actually <laughs> performing what that person wanted. It may have just been a big joke. However, a lot of people took offense to it. And um, if you've struggled with weight, um, like me, there are times where my weight is a direct result of disobedience, and sometimes it's a direct result of things I can't even control or manage. Um, sometimes it's health-related, sometimes it's choice-related. And my point is not that. My point is that this this power that is known as shame is a great power. We, as people right now here and today, uh, have probably been shaped and molded by something that maybe has even happened in our childhood that creates a great sense of shame in us. And it's something that we probably don't share very often. It's probably something that we only a select few know about us. But shame is a powerful force in a human. And some people wrongly use it to manipulate others. And one of the most common ways you see this is in parents with their children. Rather than taking the time to correct them, to teach them and show them the right way to do something, they'll shame that child into doing something. Maybe that child's done something that brought shame upon their parents. So now the parent causes shame in them to sort of, sort of pass that off of them and onto the child so that they're safe, but the child is now the victim of it. And that sense of shame, that feeling, that fear, that, that sense of, uh, of worthlessness, that, that fear of being found out, that, that, that fear of being vulnerable before others now becomes a driving force in their life. And it's horrible. It's terrible. When, when I walk around places like Walmart and the grocery store and I hear parents shaming their child openly in front of their siblings, in front of their other parent, in front of strangers – it just breaks my heart because I'm wondering how does this manifest 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now? And, you know, maybe it becomes an excuse or a crutch. Maybe it develops a victim mindset. Maybe it just causes somebody to not reach out and to not be open with another person. Shame is powerful. Now, it's not more powerful than Jesus. I don't want to give the wrong impression, but what I want us to do is to realize that. Some of us, our, our whole, our whole uh, 
walk of life is shaped sometimes subliminally we don't even really we're not even really cognizant of it our life is shaped and molded by by the fear of the shame coming into the light somebody might find out about me and if that happens I will be ashamed I will I will feel shame I will I don't know what I do I don't know how to face those people I don't know how I'd, I'd live after they found out that about me it says that Jesus endured the cross despising the shame of the cross despising the shame I want to read this to you I want to take this line out and this is why this kind of stuck out to me uh, this week as I was uh, praying and as I was uh, seeking the Lord because I didn't intend to preach on this particular line from Hebrews 12 and 2 um, I kind of glazed over it in the 10 weeks I've been uh, preparing and preaching this, this sermon series let me read it to you like this who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God see if we take that little part out just for a moment just for just for uh, discussion's sake we still get primarily the gospel message. I mean, it is changed a little, but but God could have left that part out, and we still get the message that Jesus endured the cross and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's still he's in a position of of greatest power and authority as a result of direct obedience to the Father and the plan that the Father had. But God decided to insert this these three words despising the shame was also accomplished in this great act of god see we as as people 2000 years removed also being of of gentile uh background the cross to us is something that you know we, we know it we recognize it we see it but to understand crucifixion is a whole nother idea it's a whole nother ball of wax crucifixion was designed by design it was created to humiliate and shame those who hung from it you would take the cross that that person was going to be crucified on and they'd be on roadsides as you entered into a town or a city so that foreigners or people who went out and came back would always be reminded of what lay in wait for them should they choose to cross the Roman government if they were going to uh, break a law worthy of crucifixion they weren't just going to be physically tortured they were going to be hung naked bleeding bloody for the whole world to see every bit of vulnerability every bit of shame everything would be exposed to the whole world it was equally physically torturous and it was also mentally torturous now we as as christians we don't uh physically go through a lot of harm to preach the gospel primarily what we're going through right now is all here it's the battle waged with that's raging within our own minds and soul and spirit some of us don't ever see it. We might look at you and say, hey, that's a, that, that, that's a Christian man who's got it all together. But inside of you, you're like, man, I don't know how I'm going to make it through the rest of this day. Because this war just will not quit. The war between sin and following the Holy Spirit, Satan tempting us, and God uh, uh, rebuking us and correcting us, wanting to know God's love, but wanting to experience things in the flesh. I mean, there's just this war that's battling in our heads and minds and souls and spirit and those things if they were exposed we we would probably shrink away really quick we'd probably leave town we'd probably go someplace where nobody knew us so we could start all over again because these things are so deep within us i'm here to tell you today that these these are the things that jesus carried on his back through the cross that jesus hung on a cross for that he was that he was murdered for on your behalf this shame which shapes and molds you this shame which is limiting your walk with Jesus Jesus has died to dissolve to dissipate to get rid of to extinguish 
See, it's not just it's not just that Jesus has died to forgive us of our sins. He has. But even more than that, to to go back into our past, to to pull out the experiences and the things that have shaped and molded us, the things that have have tainted how we see people and the world and and and, and our relationships. He's he's died so even those things can be corrected and now used for his glory. Jesus was going to be shamed. The crucifixion was not just, hey, let's physically torture Jesus. He was going to be shamed. One of the things that always sticks out to me and the crucifixion, the, the floggings, the beatings, is when the guards begin to spit in his face. Spitting in your face to this day is still one of the grossest meanest, most degrading things you can do to another human being. To, to, to take the spit of your mouth and just project it into their face, it, it, it's just telling that person you are worthless. You're nothing. You are so far less than me and the rest of us that we consider you less than the spit of our mouths. It's gross. It's filled with germs. I won't even get into that aspect of it. But it's just degrading, and that's what it's meant to do. And they did that to Jesus. They took a crown of thorns, and they, they mocked the king of kings by putting a crown of thorns on his head and shoving it on his head and, and taking this robe that was, that was wrapped around his back that was more, most likely healing to his back and ripped it off his back, and they just, they just shamed him. And then they put him on a cross, and they stood him up, and he hung there. For six hours. That's a long time. Now, I don't want this to come out wrong. Jesus is kind of lucky in that sense. Somebody might disagree with that phrase, but that's okay. There were people who on the cross would be on there for days because they didn't die. Jesus gave up his spirit after six hours saying that it is finished, but he still hung there for six hours. And he hung there naked. He hung there in front of his mother. Now, I don't know about your guys' relationships with your moms and all that, but, but just think about going through the worst part of your life, the most shameful aspect of your life, and your mom's watching the whole thing. You just amplified the shame, didn't you? You just amplified the, the feeling, that you just amplified the, the disgust and the ah. His friends had deserted him. Jesus' disciples, all but John, had just left. Peter had denied him three times. The, the man who just said, no, I'll die with you, Jesus. I'll follow you anywhere, Jesus. And now he's gone. And there's Jesus on the cross, just being filled, just being having shame poured out upon him. But here's the good news. It said that Jesus despised the shame. Here's what this means. It doesn't mean that he just hated it. I'm sure he hated it. I hate it. I wasn't even there. I didn't even experience any of this. I can only imagine how Jesus felt as he was doing this, knowing that this was the will of the Father for him to do this. To despise this shame, I'm sure that's, that's an understatement in a sense. But here's what's, here's what's being said. Here's what the scripture is telling us. Jesus looked at the shame and said it was worth it to take away your shame. He looked at his his death, his his method of his method of, of sacrifice, the crucifixion, and looked at it and said, I consider that nothing compared to what I'm going to accomplish for the Father and for us. Your shame is nothing compared to the shame that Jesus endured. Can we all can we all agree on that? As bad as it might be, it might be horrible. You may have gone through some of the worst things any human could go through, but I'm still going to say that it probably a second, distant second to what Jesus went through, right? It's not a competition, but let's just do this for a moment. Yet Jesus decided it's worth it to heal my people. It's worth it to forgive my children to welcome in more people into my family. It's worth it to endure that shame. What is your shame? 
What's the one thing or the couple of things that you don't want anybody to know about yourself? You don't have to say it. You don't have to confess it. You don't have to come out and publicly parade it before the church. This is all between you and Jesus. What causes you shame? Jesus died for you to relieve you of that shame. Now, you may never live a day without the potential of man looking at you the wrong way. You know, we'll never leave judges and judgmental people. Not until we go to be with the Lord. That's just life. You're going to run into people all the time and look at what you've done and not be able to separate the person from the act. You might go to especially a non-Christian and say, I'm forgiven, and they won't believe you. You'll, you'll never get out of that. That's life. That's the, the place we've been planted. What we're hoping is that the word is true and that our testimony will change their minds, not about us, but about Jesus. We don't save them. Our sacrifice does not save them. God may use it for them, but it's God and what he's done that saves them, that saves others, that saves people. For six hours, Jesus laid, excuse me, hung from a cross, naked, beaten, bloody, spit upon, mom watching, publicly humiliated, of something he wasn't even guilty of. Jesus was taking our shame, our iniquity, our transgression, our sin, our trespasses. He was taking it all. He was bearing the brunt of our judgment so that we might be forgiven. There are four reasons why Jesus did this that I want to focus on today. And I'm sure there's a plethora of reasons. These are just the four I want to talk about today. And why, why are we even talking about this? Because some of you are shaped and molded by your shame. It's limiting what you're doing for Christ, what you're doing in your family, what you're doing at work, what you're doing at school. It's just limiting everything about you. You're, you're, you're like, your growth is just stunted. You're, you're still a baby Christian, still feeding on milk when you should be moving on to solid foods. But, but the shame of your life is, is controlling you. Now, what I'm not advocating here, just one more side note, is that all of a sudden you're okay with your sin. I don't think we're ever ever should be okay with our sin. Oh yeah, I did that. It's okay. I wronged that person, but it's okay. No. There's no condemnation, Romans 8 and 1 says, but that means there's no judgment left for us. We've been forgiven, but what we did was still wrong. We should never take joy in that. We should never walk away saying, yeah, I did that. I'm really proud of that. You know, share that with people like an old war story. No. We did something wrong, and we should correct that and you know, have repentance from that. But are we going to be condemned to hell for it? No, because we have been forgiven. The Bible says, Jesus said that he came to set people free. Now, that means he came to set you free. All of you. All of us. He has come to set us free. To have the liberty and freedom to walk the path that he has set before us. Not the freedom to do whatever we want. Not the freedom to go off and sin because our, our slate has been wiped clean. So that we might even have the ability to follow after him. You know what it's like to try to follow Jesus without his power? It's hard. It's like, gosh, I just keep messing up. With God's power, you're like, oh, I sinned again. Oh, I did this again. And you just cry out to the Lord. Without his power, without him in our lives... This is, this is, we're done before we start, but with Jesus, now we can walk the path that he set before us. Hebrews, if we're going to run this race, we need to follow the one that ran it already. We need to take up our cross and not just pick it up and stand there and say, look, I got my cross, but to take that cross and follow in the footsteps of Jesus. To walk the path that he walked. Here's the good news. That cross that God has, has ordained for you is not going to kill you. It's not meant to kill you. It's not meant to destroy you. It's meant to change you. It's meant to maybe get rid of the old man, but it's not. It, it's going to produce a new man. To pick up your cross and follow after him. Here's the four reasons. Number one was doing the will of the Father. You cannot overstate 
Jesus's desire, his unquenchable pursuit of doing what the Father had sent him to do. It is the greatest picture and symbol of obedience that we have. He was sent by the Father to do the will of the Father, and no man would stand in his way. There's no, there's no account in the Gospels of Jesus saying, I came to do the will of my Father, but I had this happen. But there's not enough money. But can't do it for this reason. This person wronged me. He's not my friend anymore. There's no, there's no, it's just Jesus saying, I'm going to do this. And he's got, a, he's got hundreds of disciples. He's going to do the will of the Father. They've all abandoned him. He's going to do the will of the Father. It does not matter externally what's happening because he's been given a mission and he's going to accomplish it. John 5 and 19 says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son could do nothing of his own accord, but only that, uh, only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will, show, will he show him so that you may marvel. Right before this, if I'm not mistaken, I'm, I'm kind of working off memory here. Jesus had, had the, the gospel says that the Pharisees were just mad because Jesus was putting himself on the same level as God the Father. For them, it was like, you're doing what? Who are you? And Jesus is basically saying, yeah, I and the Father are one. And as Christians, we hear that and go, yeah, that's the gospel. But for, for Jewish folks who, who, it just blew their mind. And they wanted to kill him just for that. John 10 and 14 says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I laid down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Verse 17 says, for this reason the father loves me because I laid down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus continuously, this is what I have been sent to do. This is what I have to accomplish. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before his crucifixion, sweating great drops of blood, in anguish, praying for hours, saying, Lord, may this cup pass from me, but nevertheless your will be done. As physically hard as it was to even think about dying for the sins of the world, Jesus was content and satisfied in just doing what the Father had told him to do. And so Jesus carried his cross, walked that path, died a shameful death at the direction of God the Father, and he was happy to do so. At the end where Jesus gives up his life, nobody took his life from him. He said, it is finished, and he gave up his spirit. He laid down his life of his own accord, and then three days later took it back up again by the power of the Holy Spirit, conquering sin, Satan, and death. Doing the will of the Father, winning you to him. Now we look at each other, and, and let's just be honest, we might look at each other and say, you know what, I have nothing in common with that person. Outside these four walls, I don't know how we'd have a relationship. I don't know if our paths would ever cross. Blue collar, white collar, self-employed, employee, you know, Mac, Windows, you know, Republican, Democrat, NASCAR, football. All, I mean, just, just different. Male, female, homemaker, professional, you know, stay-at-home mom. Homeschool, public school. I mean, we're all just different. Outside of these walls, we may never even know each other. But we've been brought together by this great sacrifice, this great, this great thing that Jesus has done. And we might have a hard time winning each other to ourselves. But Jesus did what he did to win you to him. To, to lay hold of that which was lost. I don't want to make the gospel about you because the gospel is not about you. The gospel is about Jesus. But the gospel is about Jesus saving you, saving us. 
And he accomplished what he did to win you to himself, to have you. You know, the state fair just left. How many of you play those games at the state fair that are all rigged? They are. Come on. You think, oh, I'm going to shoot this basketball in that hoop, and it's like four inches smaller than the ball. Like, and, and how are you going to win that one? But there are games where, you know, you throw the dart at the balloon. That kind of works out. And, and you win something. And you're like, oh, I won this. And then it's like, a, then it's like a, an old high school football story. There I was with the darts. I had one left. And I just let that thing go. And there was one balloon. And it was smaller than a quarter, but I nailed it. And I won the Def Leppard mirror that I now have hanging in my garage. You guys remember, am I the only one that won the Def Leppard mirror? Okay, whatever. But it's your prize. You won it. You went through it. You did everything. You accomplished it to win that thing. Jesus, in a much grander scale, won you through the sacrifice on the cross. He wants you. The whole rest of the world may not. You might say, Pastor Tony, I have no friends. I have no wife. I have no husband. I have no kids. I have nobody. You have Jesus. The Bible's pretty big on us learning how to be content with just that. And for those of you who are single, who are like, I'm all alone, there are husbands and wives saying the very same thing right now. Getting married doesn't fix anything. Not like that. We have to learn to be content as though Jesus is all that we have because in reality, it's, he's the only one that can't be taken away from us. But Jesus did what he did to win you because he loves you. Jude chapter, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, getting my numbers mixed up. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 says, For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus dying on the cross opened the door for reconciliation between you and him. You now can find forgiveness in God, not just because you have the right to it, but because of what Jesus did, and he did so willingly for you. Number three, not just saving you, but keeping you. Not just, not just cleaning you up, but keeping you that way till the day you die and cross over into eternity. In Jude, the, 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 the very small letter at, towards the end of the New Testament, Jude says this at the end of his letter, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Jesus is the only one that can keep you. You're like a wild horse or a wild animal that just needs to be tamed because you're crazy with sin and then Jesus comes in and, and, and gets a hold of you, and now he's going, to, he's going to tame you. He's going to change you, not just tone you down, but he's going to change you to be a brand new person, brand new creation. He's not just going to win you to him. He's going to keep you. He's going to preserve you. He's going to, he's going to bring about real change in your mind where you start thinking about things in a different manner. Sin no longer is a thing that you can engage in without knowing that it was wrong. You can't willingly hurt or cheat somebody without the Holy Spirit just being relentless and going after you. Ephesians 3 and 20, Paul says much the same thing as, as Jude. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I love this verse. This is the verse that many times comes to mind when I pray for you. Because you'll come and say, Pastor Tony, I need A. And if I have A and I add B, I'll get C. So I have no money, but if I get money, everything will be fine. My marriage is crumbling, but if I had a good marriage, then everything would be okay. And what I always think in my mind is, Lord, only you know how this gets fixed. I, I see the elements. I see what's going on, but I don't know. I, I can't fix this. Only you can. And praise God, you can do far more abundantly anything that I could ever concoct. Anything that I could come up with, you could do far better.
John 3.16. Everybody knows John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Sometimes we understand the love of God, and this is point number four. We love, understand, understand the love of God uh, in general. And in John 3.16, you have a very generalized idea of God's love. That God so loved what? The world. We're one person in a world of seven billion currently. And who knows how many billion has lived before? And how many billion will come after us? One person. Very, we're very small like that. And so this here can be almost overwhelming or, or almost not even touch us because, okay, God so loved the world, but that's, that's everybody. That's all the things. That's, that, 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 doesn't, that isn't specific to me. And, and I'm an American, and it's all about me and what I want and what I get. You know, it's just who we are. It's been ingrained in us since we were little kids. That we can be whatever we want. We can have whatever we want. Any dream can be satisfied. So we've been told since day one. And so we become a little individual at it. And, and here's the thing. It's not that that's necessarily wrong. It's, it's not either or. It's and. It's both and. Yes, God has died. He, he loved the whole world and has sent his son to die in our place in general but specifically he's done so for me and for you and for your children and for your children's children for the people before us people who will come after us that God knows you Romans 5 and 6 says for while we were still weak at the right time Christ died for the ungodly for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare, dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were still a sinner, before you even knew what that meant, Jesus died for you. That before you even were cognizant of the fact that you were a sinner, Jesus had already done everything needed to bring you back to him. Jesus looked at the face of shame and kept right on going so that you could be relieved, forgiven, washed clean of the shame that you might feel about what's happened to you. Now, some of you have sinned and feel shame. Some of you have been sinned against and feel shame. For some, you victimized others. And some of you might be the same person you're a victim of somebody else's sin. And that shame and that feeling of condemnation, Jesus came to relieve you of. And so today, what you need to do is very simple. The gospel is not very complicated. I mean, if you want to get really into it theologically and all that and use big words, then yeah, it can get complicated really fast. I was looking at a blog post um yesterday on Facebook and it was literally like a book and, it, and I was like it was about Jesus and I just thought why, why can't you just tell him Jesus loves you like all these words it was like this long on my phone like just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling actually scrolling up scrolling up oh my gosh I can never read this many words especially late at night I'm like just tell him about Jesus here's the simplicity of it all number one you need to surrender just raise your hands up. God, I give up. I surrender my life to you. I surrender even these things that in my own mind I can't, I don't even know how to, Lord. I just give up. I surrender everything to you. I surrender the good, which is nothing. I surrender, you know, I, I don't bring anything to the table except for my baggage. I bring it to you and I surrender knowing, not just in hopes of, but knowing that you will take us and clean us of these things. That your blood is so great that it washes away not just the sins that we've done, but the sins that have happened against us. Some of us fight out of pride and stubbornness. Some of us fight because we don't know what else to do. Some of us fight out of fear and shame. How, for whatever whatever your reason for fighting is, you need to give up. 
and you surrender. Number two, you need to repent. This is a big one, okay? If you do listen to radio and TV and podcasts, repentance is not a really hot topic. Like, it's not preached a lot. The idea is that God loves you just the way you are, that God has unconditional love for you, that, you know, that it's it's not about, you know, these things you might do. It's about you just coming to the Lord and being his child. All of that that I just said is a is a warping of the gospel. It's a twisting, a diluting of the gospel. Can you come as you are? Absolutely. I'm wearing a t-shirt as I preach for goodness sake. Like it's not about performance and 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 how you look externally. It's not about that. You come in here and you're full of sin. Great. Come to church. It's like it's like I'm sick. I need to go to the hospital. Nobody at the hospital says, "Go away. You're sick." You know, nobody at church says, "Go away. You're full of sin." It doesn't work like that. Sinners go to church so they can find out they're sinners, and that's where the change comes in. You must repent of that sin. What have you done that you need to stop doing and turn back towards God for? Where do you need to repent? Where do you need to turn around? God loves you just the way you are. No, he sent Jesus to die because he didn't like the way that you were. He wants to change you. I'm a child of God. No, you're spiritually dead, and through the sacrifice of Jesus, you're becoming a child of God. You have the right to become a child of God through what he has purchased for you. You're not inherently a child of God. You're inherently a child of death and a child of sin. You're inherently spiritually dead. That's what the Bible says. That's, that's the phrases that the Bible uses. You need to repent. What is your, what's the sin you need to repent of? I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I'm sure you know. I'm sure it's at the forefront of your mind right now as you're thinking. I need to stop doing that. That's happening. I can't stop it. I need to repent. Turn away. Turn away from it. You know, if you're an alcoholic, stop going to bars. Stop going to places where they serve alcohol. You know, if it's if it's pornography, stop. Get rid of avenues that lead to pornography. If it's if it's extramarital stuff, then then cut that all out. If you're having an emotional relationship with somebody who's not your spouse, you need to cut that out. You, you can't. It's like, hey, how do I carry this fire around and not get burned? Never going to happen. Always going to get burned. You need to repent, confess, get rid of, chop, cut out all of that. But God still loves me. Yeah, he still loves me, and he's called you to something higher than the sin that you might be stuck, stuck in right now. Number three is worship. Worship. You know, we already sang songs. I'll have Ben come up in just a minute to sing Marching Around Me again because... My goodness, that is amazing. that's an amazing song. But worship is not just about music. You, know, you can worship as you're driving in your car. You can worship as you're having breakfast with your kids. It's all about who you're focused on and where you're, where you're bowing your life down to. A lot of folks, and you guys know this, it's not any of you guys because you're here at church today, but you'll talk to people about coming to church like, oh, I just couldn't possibly make time for that. And then the next thing you know, they're you know they're spending all night or all day doing something. You're like, you can make time for that, but not for church. No, I'm not judging. I'm just doing math. Seems like it's possible if it's something you want to do. That being said, when when there's not time to come to church, and some of you have to miss sometimes because you're sick or things are happening, worship is not limited to this time. It's like saying I I, I only eat one day a week. And I can't wait till next week so I can eat again. Oops, I didn't get to eat. Guess I'll go another week without eating. You would die. You have to eat many times throughout the day, right? You must worship continuously throughout the day. You must seek the Lord's face in all that you do. You must read his word and pray and, and develop relationships within the church. One of the reasons why we went on this camping trip was not because camping is particularly fun. Hey, let's walk for two miles up and down tree roots inexperienced city boy Tony and then go to a place where you can't wash your hands for two days like that wasn't fun you know what was really fun getting to know these guys outside of the walls of the church watching them do certain things that you know you didn't know they had the capability to do watching John jump into the lake oh yes I'm sharing all the secrets now just just 
how, walking back and being out of breath but trying to talk about Jesus. And you got people in the back, people in the front, and they're like, what did you say? And we're talking about this. And it's like, well, we need to get, you know, why are we talking about this now and not when we were sitting and, and able to breathe? I don't know. This is just what's happening. It's just getting to know folks outside of, outside of the church. If some of you go and have lunch and coffee. That's amazing. That's awesome. You, relationships, really, this community that we're looking for, a lot of that's accomplished not by these forced, you know, men's group, gals group. It's all forged when we just get together and just live life. As cliche as that sounds, when we just get together and help somebody do this or give somebody a ride here or, uh, you know, let them do this for us, you're just developing relationships. And a lot of us are very guarded. We're like, well, I don't know. Why do you want to come to my house? Like, it's just like, there's a red flag. When I was a kid, sometimes people showing up at the house meant they were going to shut off the gas or something. So it was always like, Who, why are you here? You have a clipboard. What does that mean? Cut that out of the audio, Dan. Um, <laughs> but worship, I don't know how I got on that. Worship is just about every day, all the time. You're a worshiper of Jesus every – you're capable of worshiping. Let's put it that way. All of the time. Not at designated hours. Not in designated positions. Not facing east or you know, with a funny hat. Just all the time. People are freaking out because the, the Pope's going to come to the U.S. <gasps> the Pope is coming to the U.S.? Oh, my gosh. I'm sure the Pope's a great guy. I'm not here to throw the Pope under the Pope-mobile. That was funny. You can laugh at that. My point is this is like some people this is going to be the holiest quote unquote moment of their life. Why? Because some man came to your town? Is Jesus not omnipotent and omniscient and all knowing and all everywhere? I mean, you're so enamored with a man, but not the God that empowers the man? Some of you don't respect our president. And I would probably agree with you on most things. You know what I respect? I respect the position. I respect the per I respect the country that's represented. I respect the, the process that should be there. It doesn't matter who's in position. I respect that, that, that they've been put there by God, the Bible says. Not just in our country, but all around the world. Because we're called to worship no matter what. No matter who's in power. Do you know what Peter says to the church in 1 Peter? Honor the emperor. We don't have an emperor. I re I've read that like five times this week, and every time I go, he said, honor the emperor. Like it was, he doesn't say honor the emperor as long as he's doing good stuff or he gives you tax breaks or, you know, he's on the far right or the far left. He doesn't say honor the emperor if he does what you want. It just says honor the emperor. Now, he doesn't say the name. He doesn't say honor emperor this. Honor the position because God has put that person there. And why should we do that? Because we worship Jesus all the time. Can you disagree? Absolutely. Can you can you protest? Sure. But you must honor that position because God has placed that person in that position for a season, for a reason that we don't even know. And you got to trust the Lord in that because you're a worshiper. And lastly is to love and to be loved back. There's a movie called Moulin Rouge, and the big thing is the greatest thing you'll ever know is just to love and to be loved in return, something like that. We, we understand that God loves us, but we need to be vulnerable and let him love us. That means, yes, you're a sinner and Jesus loves you. And that will translate one day into a person who no longer is controlled by sin and shame, but one that is directed and led by the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus loves you. This I know, for the Bible tells us so. That's it. You start having a hard time. You start feeling convicted. Not con convicted. Condemned. Conviction's a good thing. Condemnation's a bad thing. If you start feeling condemned, Satan's guilting you. You're, you're, you're questioning your salvation. You just go back to that simple song. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Think about the Good Shepherd, and I'll end with this. One of the darkest time of, times of my life was when we lost our first son. It was a really hard time. Um, it was our first child. Nothing was going wrong. We were buying a house, bought a new car. We were just so 
ready to be parents, and then he came and he went, and he went to be with the Lord. And we had to go home, and there was his nursery that we were working on. Oh, we'd bought a crib. We had bought a little bit of furniture. We had ideas about murals we were going to paint on the wall and, and all this other stuff. And there I was sitting in this rocking chair. It was just empty. It was, you know, it didn't help that there was no curtains up yet and things like It was just like, almost like in an old apartment you were about to move out of. You were just, it was just, it wasn't, there was light, but it felt dark in there. And I remember I began praying. And not that I'm much better now, but back then I didn't know any, I couldn't memorize a verse to save my life. And all I could remember was, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I just repeated that over and over as I rocked in this chair. I wasn't chanting it, it wasn't mantra, it was just I was, I was trying to grasp a hold of the Lord. I, I just needed him in that moment. And in that moment, I saw in my mind, and I don't want to call it a vision, you know, but I saw something like a vision and I saw the good shepherd and I saw the smile on his face and it wasn't like the soft smile you see like in Jesus paintings where he's just like barely smiling like it wasn't like one of those it was like this exuberant cartoon-esque filled with this raging joy to just be leading his to be leading his sheep and I, as I began to remember that verse and think about the good shepherd I had to let go and just be loved by the Lord and that that was very hard but it was exactly what I needed in that moment and that began the upward slope out of that darkness you know it wouldn't be too long after that that Sarah would become pregnant with Ethan and you know long long list of other great things that happened but man that was a dark time but the Lord led me literally out of that valley he walked me through it and he's here to do the same for you he loves you. So let's stand. We have, to, we have to accept this at some point. Ben, are you here still? Where's Ben? Oh, there he is. Come on up and let's play marching around me. I want to give you a chance to respond. You know, hey, worship the Lord. And then, you know, and then just go home. I had a little bit of a song change. It's going to be all right. My point is this. At some point, we have to believe this at some point we have to say you know what i feel all these things but the truth is the truth i i don't know how god could love me but his word says he does i have to accept that let's pray together jesus your your word is perfect and holy and pure and true and you've given us great truths truths about victory and truths about conquering, being more than conquerors and greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And these are all great promises, Lord, but one of the ones we're struggling with is to just know you love us. That the trials that we're going through, the, the circumstances that are shaping and molding us right now, the shame that we've experienced throughout our life, Lord, that these aren't the things that that are above you but these are things that you are redeeming and restoring and rejecting and and getting rid of and and moving and using in our lives so father i pray for your your power now to give up your power now to throw up our arms to worship you we bring nothing to you lord we're not a people with lots of stuff to to trade or do transaction with you we come and just we lift we just give you ourselves we just lift up our hands and we give up. As we sing this song, Lord, may you be worshipped. May you know that we need your help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Pastor Ben begins to sing this song, I want to encourage you to come up to the altar. Come to the altar. We're not coming for prayer. We're not coming for this circumstance or that circumstance. We're just coming to the Lord to worship Him. Amen? Come on up. Sing, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. 
I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit lives within me because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. It is my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you. Lord God, we just we just come to you. We have nothing to offer you. We have nothing to show. We just come before you. We come before you kneeling. We come before you standing. We come before you with hearts bowed before you. You are worthy, Lord. Some of us, we don't know what we're going to do tomorrow, the week after that. We don't know where you're taking us. I agree with Jenny. Lord, we've come through a really weird season, a, a different season maybe we're accustomed to but father i know you're the god of seasons you're the god who who ends one chapter then starts a new one and i'm just praying that as we move into this next chapter this next season that we would draw closer to you lord should we be the only people that ever go to south bay chapel the 25 30 however many are here today lord may this be the the size of our church that as big as it ever gets lord we worship you we are we want to be people who give our lives to you at our church, in our homes, at our work, when we're playing, when we're when we're working, Lord, no matter what. We are people who live for you. And for those times, Lord, where we don't. And I'm sure they'll be more frequent than we want. And we won't be proud of those moments, but Lord, we pray that you would get us through those times. When shame creeps up and Satan uses that to, to lure us away or to trap us or to, to steal from us that which you have died for, Lord. May we stand defiantly in the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us in spite of ourselves, in spite of our proclivities and the things that we tend to do. Thank you for being steadfast for being the rock of our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.